Well, good morning. What an honor it is for me to be able to come and to preach the Word of God with you and uh, know that you are in my prayers. Last uh, summer, I was installing a pastor, the new pastor in Hamburg, and I was challenging the congregation to pray for your pastor and even saying, can you make a commitment to pray for your pastor daily? And I've tried to do that at many of the churches, maybe not all. But as I was giving this challenge and sharing that, the Lord reflected a mirror in front of me and said, all right, this is for you to pray for each of the pastors, each of the churches on a daily basis. And it's been a, an exciting um, journey through praying for 36 churches and each, each pastor uh, each day this year. And the Lord has been teaching me about prayer and how, how God wants to change the church. And I believe in prayer and I believe that God can do that which we cannot do. And so as we come to the Word of God this morning, particularly the passage that was read earlier in Second Chronicles, I want to challenge you to pray. That, that passage began, said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And so to pray with humility. Let me begin by just expressing love and, and prayers for Pastor Wes and Cindy uh, this week. And uh, Pastor John prayed for them and we thank him for that. But uh, certainly we want to pray that even this week as they are with family um, in Iowa and spending time with Cindy's family, that there would be a time of comfort and healing and that in the coming days and weeks and maybe months that even physically they would re- be replenished um, and renewed. Now that I'm praying, Pastor John, I, I want to thank you for not only helping leading the service, but just for your service to the church, to the district as a youth director of the last three or four years, maybe more than that. But, uh, but know that I'm praying for you and Nancy as well. You are in my prayers, and may God continue to bring healing and peace of mind through the journey that you're going through. A couple of words of introduction, more as some are new to Houghton Church, maybe to the Wesleyan Church. Uh, the Western New York District, over which I uh, oversee, has 36 churches, and it's exciting to see what God is doing. And one of the joys of my job is to be able to go to each of those 36 churches, worship with them, and uh, meet with the pastors on a fairly regular basis. We are given the challenge of reaching every zip code in western New York uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are about 1.6 million people in, in the area that we are given responsibility for. And so that is a matter of deep prayer because there are so many that are far from God and far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has been exciting to see this year some some new works uh, develop, uh, an African church and uh, mainly composed of refugees in the west side of Buffalo. And Stephen Ruth Strand are doing an excellent job in sort of building bridges between uh, the churches that have been in the Westland Church for many years and some of these newer ethnic congregations that are in Buffalo. And even just the last couple of days, I've been able to spend time with Pastor Yashua Bashizi and Biambe Sweetie uh, just to hear their vision, even even now, wanting to start another congregation. And, and yesterday I spoke with someone about a Burmese congregation. And uh, there's a youth pastor at our Orchard Park churches wanting to start a multi-ethnic church in Buffalo. So there's a lot of exciting things happening. Uh, this year at our district conference, we celebrated 476 people that gave their heart to, to Christ that, were, that entered this life of faith with the church. Uh, we celebrate 371 baptisms, which I believe is the most we've had in at least 20 years among our churches. And so it is exciting to to see what God is doing. And thank you for your support. I know you are praying for us. I know you are 
supporting the strands and many other the works throughout the district, the new churches, and partnering with, with uh, the churches that are in need, and just seeing how God can use you here in Allegheny County, and know that, that um, I'm praying for you as you continue that journey. As I pray, one of the things that God has been teaching me is, how do you pray for a church? Even this, this week, I was reading from Acts chapter 4, and in the, in the early church, um, Peter and John had just been arrested and released, and the church got together and praised God that they had been released, and, and it records their prayer, and it doesn't say who prayed it, it's almost like the church was praying that corporately at the end of the chapter, and, but I believe it's the first time that the church is recorded, the church praying for the church, and so let me read just these, uh, verse 29 through 31 of Acts 4. They prayed, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants, enable us, the church, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want to challenge you to be people of prayer. To believe that God can answer prayer when there is nothing more that we can do. To trust in that power. I want to challenge you to pray for your pastor. Pray for your church, for this body daily and ask God God what do you want the church to be how do you want me to pray for the church and let me suggest with this message this morning that the first thing that we should pray for is that the church would be humble what is the best that you can imagine for the church? What is the best that God could do if, if all of our prayers were collectively answered? I believe God wants to change lives. I believe God wants this church to be a transforming presence in Allegheny County that would just spark renewal in, in people's lives and go beyond this to the college and to wherever the students are going and just seeing the whole country, the whole body of Christ transformed. It says in this early church where the passage I read that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting, the building was shaken. And they were filled with the Spirit. But then the effect of that was that they went out and they proclaimed the word. They spoke the word. They gave the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, boldly. And this was an atmosphere of extreme antagonism and persecution. We hear sometimes the, the old word revival. Sometimes we might hear a movement or an awakening, other ways. But I believe God wants to move in his church the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. It begins with people like you and me. It begins with the church, but it will ultimately transform the community around us. I think as we pray for the church, we, we need that perspective from, from God's of the church that we would not just look at the church from a 
you know, a human level perspective. But from God's perspective, what does he want to do? The story is told of a farmer who's out walking in the, the mountains and actually discovered an egg on the ground. It was an abandoned eagle egg. He carefully wrapped it up and decided he would try an experiment. Let's see what will happen if I bring this back to my farm and put it in my chicken coop and see if the chickens will adopt it. And lo and behold, one of the hens sat on it and sure enough, it hatched. So this eagle hatched in this chicken coop among other chickens. He grew and the farmer just watched it. Every day he'd go out and see what's going to happen to this little eagle chick. And it just started walking around with the other chicks. But it was maybe a little bigger than the other chicks. In his eyes, a little better looking, a little stronger. He was dominant in that chicken culture. And the the farmer thought, well, one day, that eagle's just going to take off and fly. One one day, that eagle's just going to soar over the mountains. He had always thought that was a majestic sight of seeing this eagle. But the farmer watched it grow into an adult. And it never did. He wanted it to fly. He wanted it soar, but the eagle didn't know that it could. He grew content being the biggest and best in a coop of chickens. I believe that in some ways, this is a picture of the church today. As we work together We have the power of God within us. He is wanting to achieve an incredible mission through his church. And he has promised to be with us. He has promised to give us all the gifts, all the strength. He has given us all that we need to accomplish this. There are things that the Bible teaches that we are capable of doing. That if we were willing to become what we were designed to be, we would break out of this mold. But too often we live as though our wings have been clipped and we are content with the pursuit of human success, the the pursuit of survival as a church. Maybe even among our culture, we want to be a little better, a little smarter, a little wealthier, a little more popular. Deep down, we know that this will not satisfy the soul, and we are, see that confirmed in our lives daily, but we accept the lie that this is all that is available to us. If I were that farmer, I would be tempted to take that eagle and just take it up to a cliff in the mountains and just say, you can fly and, and even just throw it off the cliff and see what happens. I work in the church, I cannot do that. But God can. And my prayer for the church is that God would give us a vision of what we were designed to be. I want to challenge you to become the church that God wants you to become. John Wesley wrote, and he is praying for revival. He says, I continue to dream and pray about a revival of holiness in our day that moves forth in mission and creates authentic community in which each person can be unleashed through the empowerment of the Spirit to fulfill God's creational intentions. 
what this is, is how God, what God intended from creation for the church to be. This community, this power unleashed. God created us to have that intimate fellowship with him from, from the very beginning. But sin broke that relationship. Sin has, has distorted the image of God. Sin has damaged us, even our imagination. Until Jesus came to restore that intimacy with God, we could not connect with that power. But the church is the hope of God restoring his creation to this fellowship, his partners. We are his partners in this mission to reach all who are broken. I want to challenge you to pray the church uh, to become the church that the world needs. We are living in a broken world. You can see hatred. You see division. It's been terrible what we're seeing in Charlottesville. Just the hatred and the, the racism that still exists. We thought we were beyond some of this. We are in a broken world that desperately needs this authentic power of Jesus. Not a fake. Not a just a put on religion. But a, re- a relationship that transforms us to a church of love. Andrew Murray, a South African revival preacher, wrote this, that a revival among believers is a great need of our day. This was over 100 years ago. It's true today. A revived church is the only hope of a dying world. I believe that. I don't have a lot of confidence in politicians to fix our problems. I'm not even sure we had the best educational system. That would fix our problems. There is nothing but the church that is given to our culture to fix the needs that we so desperately have. I feel that we need to fly. I look to the word of God and say, how can can the church fly? How can we become who God created us to become? How can we be restored to that creational intent and I'm taken back to this Old Testament passage of 2nd Chronicles where it does give some guidelines for the people of God returning to God and I believe these these four things that we'll see in a minute are true today are, are things that the church needs to do the context was given somewhat in the reading and well, I'm in 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verse uh, 11 through 16. Um, let me just read it again and just listen as we go through this passage. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, so let me just give you some context. This is after the dedication of this temple that has finally been built And the Lord responded to him that night when he was alone. And God said, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And then God speaks this word. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, three really devastating curses, ailments, burdens upon the people. Why would God be... Starting off with this, it is a a hopeful promise that he's given. 
It is in direct response to what Solomon prayed. If you look back to chapter 6, if you look in 1 Kings, there's, there's recording of the prayers on the day of the dedication. And Solomon used these words, Lord, when right now we're, we're, we're great with you, we're, we're following you, we're building this temple, you're pleased with us, but there will be a day in which we worship other gods and then you will shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. There'll be a day when we are doing our own thing and committing immorality and, and even being proud of it and, and you will command locusts to devour land. There, there'll be a day when we wander away from God and you will send some sort of discipline, some sort of punishment, some sort of hardship on us. Not to Punishment is not the right word because it is designed to draw us back. But in that time, if God gets our attention, if God wakes us up from our slumber, if God lets us know we are not where we ought to be, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I've chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes, my heart will always be there. These actions that, that God gives to the people are simple in, in some ways, but they are cutting to the heart. You cannot fake this. At least it's not just actions that you can just go through the motions. And I think to... To emphasize that it starts off with humility. It starts off with this, this idea of humbling ourselves. And, and understand or remember, this is after God had sent some devastation or thinking through the future. When God sends a devastation, God humbles us. God sends us hardship. God, God wakes us up. And you'd think that would be humbling. But just like any of you parents of a toddler knows that there's sometimes which a toddler has to humble themselves. There's nothing that we as parents can do to, to make them comply. Sometimes they just have to, to accept this and internalize that. I think it's true with us and God. There's some people that God can send all the devastation, all the difficulty, and they still are never humble before the Lord. They're still never re- receiving his word, never never open to what he has for them or humble in this. And so if my people in this time will humble themselves, acknowledge that God is our creator. God is in control. He is our authority. Acknowledge that we are his servants and that we have gone astray. If we'll acknowledge that we need him, that gets to the very core of humility. And until we humble ourselves, we cannot go on with this process. Because if we, if we start to pray before we humble ourselves before, before the Lord, it's an arrogant prayer. Where we're telling God what he ought to do. And some of you have probably heard these. Maybe we prayed these prayers where we are telling God as if we are the boss and God is somehow our servant doing whatever we ask of him. That's not prayer. Humility before prayer leads to a prayer that is saying, God, I want to come in line with what you are doing. 
Here are my needs. Here, here is what I'm facing before you. I want to, you to know that I trust you for this. But if we're humble in our prayers, we're not telling him what to do. We are simply bowing before him and saying, God, help me. We are open to whatever he wants to do in this process. Unless we're hum- we humble ourselves, we won't seek his face. I'll talk about that in a minute. Unless we humble ourselves, we won't repent. Or the repentance will be just an outward repentance. So this humility must be the very beginning of this process. It's, this humility must be a point where we, we recognize his place in our lives. And we align ourselves with it. I believe so many in the church have, have not been able to go forward because they're still proud. They are still proud. There's still pride in their heart that is keeping them from trusting him. They want to get so much done and they they want to just go and do it themselves. And so instead of praying and trusting God, they just say, well, I'm impatient. I'm going to go do it without you. We humble ourselves and pray. So the second thing is to depend upon the power of God. This is why I'm challenging you to pray for your church, to pray... Pray for your pastor, Pastor West. You, you know he needs it. And I think you've been praying for this, him this week with, his, with Cindy and her families and, and the, the struggles they are going through. But pray for him daily. Pray for your church that it would proclaim the word of God boldly. Pray for your church. Pray for revival. Many of you give hours to the work of the Lord in this church each week. But we may even fail to value those who are praying for the power of God to be poured out. Without God's power, the church just goes through the motions. Yeah, we can be very well organized. We can be very smooth in our service. We can, we can do a lot of things well. But in the end, it's just chickens walking around in the chicken coop when God has created us to soar. Humble yourselves and pray and seek my face. There's a couple of places in the, in the Old Testament particularly where this phrase, seeking the face of God or seeking the face of a king is referred to. And it's given in the context of trying to understand what the attitude or the, the demeanor of the king or, or God is. And at, at this point, I, I want to make sure we understand that not every hardship we go through is based on you doing something wrong. I think there, that's a fallacy that we see in the book of Job, and we, I see people having this today, that if, if I'm going through some hardship, then there must be some sin in my life, or I must not have enough faith, or there's something I'm doing wrong. And I think when we, when we get to this point where we're humbling ourselves and praying before God, and we're seeking his face, in the midst of that hardship, maybe, maybe there's been no rain in your life, or finances are tight, and you lose your job. Or maybe there is a plague. Maybe there's a cancer or heart issues or sickness. And, and whatever the trial that we go through, I think seeking the face of God is quieting ourselves in his presence enough to discern his voice. Because sometimes it may well be there is a very specific sin or things that you are doing or not doing that he is wanting you to change. And I believe in that context, if that is the case, the Holy Spirit 
think the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit convicts us of those sins. He, he, he points those out. We, we sang that song, Search Me, O God. God does that. God, God reveals that to us. Sometimes the devil does that and just sort of puts that blanket condemnation and, and, and shame on us. But when the devil does it, there's no hope out. There's no, there's no way to change. There's, there's no specific way in which we can re- respond. It's just we've blown it and there's nothing we can do. We're just pitiful. But when the Holy Spirit does it, it's hope. It's hopeful. There's something he's pointing out and there's a change that you can make today that if you do that, he will bless that. And so seeking the face of God is, is listening to that. Sometimes we seek the face of God and we don't see that there's something we've done. Maybe God is using this challenge to strengthen us for something that's still to come. You know, James talks about the trials and difficulties we face really as a part of the sanctification process. It develops patience. It develops character. It develops perseverance. And that's needed in order to, to, to become holy. And so we don't necessarily enjoy it anymore, but we understand, well, this is what God's doing. And we endure it. Sometimes God is just at work in, in a way that he, he can reveal to us that, that will only be made known when we get to see him face to face. But when we seek his face, we can have that confidence before him of his love, of his presence in our lives. And sometimes of that specific conviction of things that we are doing or we are not doing, that he is saying, I am calling you to change. That's why it's important that we read the word of God, humbly praying and read the word of God because he can speak to us through that. And it's through the truth of God's word that those sins or those attitudes or those areas of our life that are not in alignment with him are revealed. Maybe it's in that that pride is revealed. or Maybe it's in that that we, we realize this sin if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways then we've, we've been with God we've spent that time humbly with God and, and we've been maybe convicted of things that, that are not right in our lives what would that be I'm not asking you to answer out loud that might be Embarrassing, but what if you were to meet with your accountability partner, with someone, a spiritual mentor, and just say, this is what God is pointing out in my life that needs to change. Would you do whatever God called you to do? Would you make any step that he's directing you to? And so that's why we need the church, the body, to hold us accountable there, to hold us into that place where we can make those changes. God wants us to be repentant, holy. God changes us this from a rebellious spirit to a spirit of repentance. God's discipline, if, if that's what it took, was intended to draw us to this point of repentance. This requires us confessing what is wrong. It requires us to take the step of humility, owning up to our mistakes, bringing our weaknesses to God, and turning away from the sin that is displeasing to him. This is a passage we've read in the Old Testament, but we also read the, the New Testament passage from 1 John. 
in a sense, mirrors this Old Testament teaching. It says we, we've all sinned. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, if we humbly acknowledge, and Lord, I've blown it. Some people are hesitant to admit they're wrong. Maybe some people never admit they're wrong. Confession is saying, I've blown it. I'm wrong. Then God is faithful. God is just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise. What hope this gives us. That if we enter in this this process of humility, if we enter into this process saying, all right, God, I'm going to let go and do what you want to do, then there will be this, at the end, forgiveness. At the end, this holiness, this purity, this unrighteousness, this freedom from the chains of unrighteousness. Once we do, we have the Holy Spirit within us to enable us to do that which the law could not do which outside influence could not do, only God can do, and that is to purify our hearts. This is how revival comes. Often when we hear that word awakenings or revival, we think of crusades, we think of Billy Graham with stadiums with tens of thousands of people coming to Christ. His daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, wrote this quote. It says, revival begins when you draw a circle around yourself. And make sure that everything in that circle is right with God. My challenge to you is to pray for your church. That it would become a church on fire. A church with great boldness. A church that's making a difference. But as you pray, let God shape you into the men and women he's created you to be. Let us pray. Father, may we have this hunger for renewal that comes from humility acknowledging that in our own strength we are helpless but your strength can enable us to do all things Lord may we migrate from focusing on life and what we can get out of it, the pleasures, the things that we can acquire, things of lust and of greed, and release that to you and become people with a mission, with a purpose to proclaim your word with boldness. May we be a transforming presence in Houghton, whatever town that we live in and in Western, throughout western New York. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.